Tonight I would like to direct your attention to Isaiah 61. The Lord willing, we will finish chapter 61 tonight. Isaiah 61, beginning from verse 4 to 11. 4 to 11. This is God's word. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities. The devastations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your blowmen and vine dressers, but ye shall be called the priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wells of the nations, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them, and they are an offspring the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom, decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress. And as a bride adorns herself with uh, jewels, for as the earth brings forth his sprouts, as a garden causes what is sown in, in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, you have given us once again a privilege to hear your voice through the proclamation of your word. And as we, as we do that tonight, we ask you, Lord, to open our eyes so that we all would see wonderful things in your law. Speak to us through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Conform your children to the likeness of your Son, Jesus Christ. And in your holy word tonight, show us more of Christ. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Tonight, as I mentioned earlier, we are going to finish uh, Isaiah 61. Last time we saw the first three verses together. 
and what we learned from these first three verses was Jesus speaking, the Messiah speaking through Isaiah, telling his people what his mission here on earth will be. That his mission here on earth will be to proclaim the good news of the gospel, to bind up the hearts of those who are broken by sin, to release prisoners in the bondage of that darkness, the darkness of sin, and to declare the year of our God, the day of vengeance of God, and to comfort all who mourns over their sin. Those duties of the Messiah, beloved, are the mission statement of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Jesus came to the world to proclaim the good news of the gospel to the elect, to sinners. Proclaim the good news of the gospel, the good news being binding up the broken heart, liberty of the captives, proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor, but also the day of God's vengeance and bringing comfort to those who mourn. But the question we really need to ask in relation to the elements of Jesus' mission of salvation here on earth is, how is the Messiah going to accomplish his mission here on earth? How is he going to bring his mission to fruit? It is through his sacrifice and death on the cross. You see, for the Messiah to fulfill all these elements of redemption, he had to shed his blood unto death. A Messiah, the Son of God, without sin, had to die on the cross. He had to justify the unjust. He had to reconcile sinners with his Father. And what does that show you? That shows you how much God loved the elect, how much God loved the saints, to the extent of giving up His own Son, the Messiah, the sinless Son of God, to take the place of sinners and die on the cross, die on Calvary. Now as we go to the next verses, verses 4 to 11, the focus turns to the people that the Messiah, Jesus, came to save. You see, in the first three verses, he shows us what his mission was. That his mission was to proclaim the good news of the gospel to sinners with all those elements. But then he turns his focus to the people whom he came to save, the Focus turns to the people, and here in chapter 61, they are identified as God's covenant people. That's the name that Isaiah, being led by the Spirit, gives to the saints, gives to God's people. 
the people of the covenant, people with whom God established His covenant, the covenant of redemption, the covenant of grace. Beloved, what a privilege it is for us, in this, for us to be in this covenant, for us to take this name, the people of the covenant, for us to be considered as part of God's covenant, the covenant of redemption. I'm going to ask one important question tonight. Who are these people? Who are we? Who are the people of God's covenant? In Isaiah 61, you and I, those of us who are in Christ, who are in the covenant, have been described in three ways. Who are the people of the covenant? First, they are the people to whom Christ is the promised seed. We are the people to whom Christ is the promised seed. You see that in verse 8 and 9. And the people of the covenant are the people whom God set apart to his service. You see that in verses 5 and 6. And then the people of the covenant are the people who rejoices in God's great blessing for them. Verses 7 to 11. This is who we are as the people of the covenant, as the people with whom God established His covenant. First, we are the people to whom Christ is the promised seed. Listen to Isaiah in verses 8 and 9. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will make what? What kind of covenant? An everlasting covenant. A covenant that will endure forever. A covenant in which God's, God will never change His mind. An everlasting covenant will be established with my people. I hate sin. I hate robbery. We saw that in the morning where God, Jesus came to the temple and cleansed the temple, the house of his father, because he hated sin. He especially hated the abuse of the worship of God in God's house. But now here God is saying, these are my people with whom I established my covenant and the promised seed belongs to them. Even though we don't see the word covenant being repeated several times here yet, when the Lord says in verse 8, and I will establish an everlasting covenant with them. He's speaking about the initiative that He took while we were still sinners, while we were still the enemies of God, while we were still far from God, He took the initiative to establish this covenant with us. And this was not about the natural Israel. Because in verse 6, He speaks of us and even the Israelites. 
with whom God established his covenant as priests of the Lord to the nations. Priests of the Lord to the nations. Not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles, to all the nations. These are the people that God purposed to save through the Messiah. You see verses 1 to 3. What is the Messiah doing? Who is the Messiah uh, saving the people of God? The people of the covenant. Not only the Jews, but also the Gentiles. You see, the covenant of redemption was established between the Father and the Son before the foundation of the world. You see, here Isaiah is speaking about that covenant. Yes, we have the covenant of grace that God established between him and his people, Christ being the mediator. But before that, we also have the covenant of redemption that was established before the foundation of the world in heaven. Ephesians 1, 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. When was this covenant established? Before the foundation of the world. Before you and I were born. The Father and the Son spoke in heaven. They spoke with one another. The Father said, Son, I want you to go down to the earth and die for the elect. Die for my sheep. Die for my people. And the Son said, Yes, my Father, I will go down to the earth and I will do your will. That's the covenant of redemption. You were not there. I was not there. It was way, way before the foundation of the world. In fact, in verse 13, in Ephesians 1, Paul says, in Him, in Him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, this is your election, this is your predestination in Him. You also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. In Him. In Him, being in this covenant of redemption before the foundation of the world, you heard the gospel. You heard the good news of the gospel and you believe it. You believe it. Covenant of redemption. You go to John 17 and you find that uh, priestly prayer that our Lord Jesus Christ offered to his Father. You remember what he prayed in John 17, 1 and 2, when Jesus had spoken these words, when he told them that he was going to ascend, ascend to heaven, uh, go back to his Father, but send the Holy Spirit to be with them always. When he, Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes, eyes to heaven. And listen to what he said to his Father. And said, Father, the hour has come. What hour? The hour that you and I spoke about in heaven before the foundation of the world. That hour has come now. So glorify your son. 
glorify your Son. I have fulfilled it. I have accomplished the work of redemption. I died for your people. Glorify your Son. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. You see, beloved, the ground for God's covenant with his people is the covenant of redemption. Covenant is like a tester. When the, when the testator dies, then the will that the testator leaves behind, the inheritance is given to those whose name are listed on the written will. And that's exactly what the father did with his will, with his eternal decree, with his covenant of redemption, you and I, being in Christ, our name was listed on the will. And we became partakers of that inheritance because the Messiah died for us. The Messiah died for us, written the will. Father, I'm going to die for that sheep. And that sheep, will get the inheritance that you prepared for her before the foundation of the world. This is your salvation. This is the covenant of redemption. That's why you and I are identified as the people of the covenant. And for us, the Messiah is the promised seed. God's covenant promises to his people is throughout the Old Testament, beloved. Think about the seed. All the way back to Adam, the seed promise. Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her, her offspring, he shall bruise your, he, your, 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 head, your head and you shall bruise his heel. That seed, beloved, is Christ. In Genesis 3.15, we see that, that that's known as the first gospel. The first gospel. The good news of the gospel. The offspring of the woman would, will crush the head of the serpent. You see the promise of that seed. Christ being that seed promised in Genesis 3.15. Then we see how God promised Noah that, the will, that, that, that he will bless him and keep his covenant with him. Remember what God did in the ark, the ark, of, the ark that Noah prepared. Eight people were in the ark. They, God preserved their life. God was keeping his covenant with his people. He promised that through this seed, Christ, the offspring of the woman, people will be saved. People will be kept in the covenant. And, and that's exactly what God did with Abraham, with Moses, and with David. Through the seed you know, in all the temporary promises, types, was envisioned Christ, the promised seed. Our brother Ben read for us Hebrews 3. I want to bring you back to Hebrews 3 to 
notice uh, the relationship between Hebrews 3, 1 to 6 and Isaiah 61. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in heavenly calling, consider, consider Jesus the apostle and the high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. What does that mean? It was not Moses who died on the cross for you. Moses was not perfect. Moses was not faithful to the, till the end. The glory that was given to Jesus was more glorious than the glory that Moses as the leader of Israel received from God. Moses failed, but not Jesus. He was more glorious and perfect than Moses. Listen to the writer of the Hebrews. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now, listen to this. Now Moses, now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant. You see, Moses' position in God's service was just as a servant. Abraham was like that. Joshua was like that. Moses was like that as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is, the, Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. He's more glorious than Moses because he is the son. He is the Messiah. Verses 1 to 3. Whom do you see in verse 1 to 3? Not Moses, but Jesus the Messiah. That the Father anointed by the Holy Spirit to become the Christ, the Son of God, the King of Israel. And we are His house indeed we hold if we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. You see the contrast between Moses and Jesus. And how Jesus is more glorified than Moses. The, the old covenant is the blueprint. It is a plan. It is a design, a type. But the new covenant is the fulfillment of Jesus' faithfulness. Not the faithfulness of the people. Not the faithfulness of you and I. But the faithfulness of Christ, the head of God's house. The promised Said. Secondly, the people of the covenant are the people whom God set apart to his service. Listen to Isaiah in verses 5 and 6. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers. But you shall be called the priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. Servants of God. Ministers of God. Ministers under the anointing 
Spirit of Christ. I mentioned this in, that, in Sunday school this morning. And I mentioned it again, 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. This is where we are as, as people of the covenant. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. You see, that's the, that's the benefit that we have in the covenant of redemption, in the covenant of grace. The covenant of grace where Christ is the one and only mediator between God and His people. That's the benefit that we have. We are God's possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called out of darkness into His marvelous light. It is in this way that you and I, being in that covenant, we become God's ministers. Not only pastors and evangelists and missionaries, but every believer who has been rescued for the kingdom of darkness and brought to the kingdom of light has a duty to declare the excellencies of Christ to his neighbor, to his family member, to his co-worker. Even as Ben prayed tonight when people come to us and ask us what is the reason for our hope. And then that presents an opportunity for us to tell people who we are in Christ Jesus. To tell people about this beautiful and glorious covenant that God established with us. This is the covenant this is the covenant and where you and I as God's people in God's covenant serves God. Matthew 5.13, you are the salt of the earth. And then in verse 14, you are the light of the world. Ministers of God, servants of God. Think about that salt, as salt we, we preserve God's holiness, God's good name here in this world. We defend the truth of the gospel. Like what we heard this morning, we express our zeal for the worship of God in this world. People will see us worshiping the only true and living God. People will see us being set apart for God's service. Where are the people of this world tonight? They are not in the house of the Lord, worshiping God. Because they are not being set apart for God's service. This is our service to God, our worship to God. And then light, we expose sin. We share the light of the gospel with sinners. Relying on the grace of God, we are indeed the salt and the light of this world. So Isaiah is reminding us, you see, who are the people of the covenant? The people of the covenant are those who have been set apart to the service of God. And then thirdly, the people of the covenant are the people who rejoices in God's great blessing. Listen to Isaiah, beginning from verse 
7. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. Even though they don't admit it, you and I would remember when we were outside of Christ, when we were living in darkness, the, the feeling of shame that we had in our life because of our sin. Sin brings shame into the life of sinners. Even though they don't admit it, even though they don't um, confess it and acknowledge it, but sin brings shame and despise and dishonor to the sinner's life. But Isaiah here is saying, when God established his covenant of redemption and covenant of grace with you, when he delivered you from the power of sin through the work of the Messiah, he removed your shame. And he replaced your shame with joy, the joy of salvation. It always astonishes me Every time I come back and read Psalm 51, the, 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 the confession of King David after he committed adultery and murder. And then the prophet confronted him and he saw his sin and he started repenting. And one of his prayers, one of his plea with God, with God was, Restore to me the joy of my salvation. You see how important joy is in the Christian life. We don't create this joy by our own strengths, but God created this joy in the life of you and I by removing the shame of sin. And how did he remove that? Jesus took it upon himself. And for us to rejoice, to not to worry about our shame, not to remember our shame. He dressed us by what? I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul exult in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. It's not just a garment. Garments of salvation. What are these garments? Your election, your calling, your regeneration. Your justification, your sanctification, your adoption, your glorification, your gar the garments of your salvation. You are wearing them right now. They're wearing them right now. You have all these garments in your life. God the Father through the Messiah dressed you with these garments of salvation. And the result is why? The result is what? Joy. Joy. We don't need money to experience this joy. We don't need fame to experience this joy. What we need is salvation. What we need is to realize what we have in Christ Jesus. That's one of the reasons, you see, why when we come to church for worship, we should rejoice. When we sing unto the Lord, we should rejoice. Sad face has no place 
in Christ's church because of this joy that God brought to us through the work of the Messiah. That's why David, you see, longed for that joy. It was gone because adultery and murder, he lost the joy of his salvation. It was there, but he was not feeling it because of his shame. And he realized my joy is gone. I, I'm not experiencing and enjoying the joy of my salvation. So he said, Lord, restore to me the joy of, not my salvation, your salvation. Have you noticed that? David never said my, the joy of my salvation. It's not our salvation. The joy of your salvation. The joy of your salvation. And listen to Isaiah here. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness, not robe of shame and despise, but robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a, like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels, for as the earth brings forth its sprouts, as a garden causes what is sown in it, in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. Do you see the blessing of your salvation? At least you, you notice two things here tonight. The blessing of your salvation being explained in the gift of righteousness. And then praise. Righteousness, the gift of righteousness by which God has dressed us. And then the reality of our praise to God. What it means is Salvation always should drive us to worship. The gift of righteousness should cause us to praise God with our whole heart, with a joyful heart. Isaiah said it sprouts, it grows in us because of the righteousness with which Christ has dressed us. Tonight, I wonder, as, as a preacher, as a pastor, if you have recognized the garments of your salvation in your life. When you think about your own life as a Christian, being in the covenant of redemption, in the covenant of grace, do you see the righteousness of Christ in you as a dress, as a garment? Do you see your justification as a garment? We'll think about that on Tuesday night. Justification by faith. And the object of our faith is who? The Messiah. Christ himself. But the question is, does all these garments of salvation in your life, being realized by you, draw you to the worship of God, to the praise of God, 
There should not be a time in our Christian life as believers we use the word enough for worship. We don't use that term for worship. We will never worship our God enough. And you know why? Because His blessings for us are eternal. They are everlasting. How could we say, if I worship Him now, it's enough. It is not enough. He's God. And He's the God of the covenant both the covenant of redemption and the covenant of grace. Praise be to his name. Let's pray. Our gracious and heavenly Father, the God of the covenant, the covenant of redemption and the covenant of grace, O Lord, tonight we come to you, our heavenly Father, to bless your name, to praise you. Indeed, you have dressed us by the garments of redemption and salvation, we have them in us. We are wearing them, wearing them right now. We have them in our life as a gift from you. So help us to recognize them, to realize them in our life because we are in the covenant. And because of these gifts, cause us to be zealous for, for your worship, to praise you, to adore you, to worship you as your children. Thank you for your word. And thank you for the Messiah of Isaiah 61, your son Jesus Christ, the only mediator between God and your people the Lord of the covenant. In his name we pray. Amen.